Hey, good morning. Merry Christmas to you. If that's all right with you, I'm just going to sit on this stool. Since we're doing family style here, glad to see you. Uh, If you would turn into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And while you're turning there, have you ever heard someone say to maybe a, a a young person who just got done describing something really spectacular. Have you ever heard someone say, or maybe you've said this, ah, that's just a dream. Anybody ever heard that? I got Scott putting his hands up. Anyone else? Oh, that's just a dream. Stop dreaming. You ever heard this? In fact, sometimes I've I've even experienced things where... um, we, we will hear a kid say, hey, I dreamed about this, this, this. And sometimes subconsciously in our minds we think, well, when they grow up, you know, they'll get out of that phase. <laughs> the big idea of the message today is that the creator of the universe actually loves to talk through dreams. Not just like every once in a while he might for certain special people, but actually... The creator of the universe who created you actually loves to speak through dreams. And so I want to encourage us uh, this morning. You know, when we talk about what are your dreams for 2022? We're really just talking about goals, right? (laughs) Well, what are my dreams for 2022? Actually, I think the Father has dreams for every single person in this room for 2022. The question is, are we going to pay attention and seek those out? So that's what we're talking about today. So uh, if you don't know me, my name is Jamie. I serve as one of the pastors here. We are in a series on spiritual gifts, and uh, we thought it might be fun for the day after Christmas to kind of look at a spiritual gift. Technically, the Bible doesn't call dreams an interpretation. Technically, doesn't call it a spiritual gift. Uh, but we thought, let's, let's bring that in since it's a part of the revelatory gifts of the Spirit. And we thought, since it's Christmas, the major um, dreams that are found in the New Testament all center around the Christmas story. So we're just going to walk through that a little bit. So here's the message. We're going to do this in just a couple of parts um, as we're walking through the text, talking about dreams and interpretation. Part one, I just want to look at dreams in the Bible and in the ancient Near East. That sounds super boring. I'm going to try to not make that boring, just so you know. Two, uh, Christmas dreams. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. Literally, we're just going to talk through the text, um, talking about Christmas dreams. I'm going to make some practical application, then we're just going to pray for each other, and then we're going to sing a, a final carol, and then we'll be finished. That sound good? Okay, let me pray for us, and then uh, we will go after this text. Jesus, we've already told you thank you. And we tell you again, thank you. You are the reason we gather. You are the reason we can enjoy fellowship with the Father. You are the reason that uh, we can experience true joy and peace in a world of great anxiety and discouragement. So, Jesus, we honor you. And I ask, Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher. And so I ask that you will help 
challenge and exhort and confront and remind and encourage and teach us this morning. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. And Abba, we thank you for this word. Thank you that we can um, see what you're like as you spoke to and dealt with men and women all throughout history. So we honor you, Father, Son, and Spirit, and we give you this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, dreams in the Bible and the ancient Near East. So uh, the ancient Near Eastern worldview and the biblical worldview um, was totally comfortable with dreams. And I think it's worth saying that because in our culture, in a, in a sort of Western uh, post-enlightenment culture, for many of us, dreams are kind of like, ah, that's childish baby stuff. But you got to understand, in the ancient Near Eastern culture and then the biblical worldview culture, dreams were significant. They were significant communications uh, from a deity to human beings. So this was a well-known thing among all cultures. And it's interesting, I was doing a little bit of study on this. Do you know that in every culture people dream? (laughs) And so in this ancient Near Eastern culture and in the biblical worldview... Uh, dreams were a big deal. If somebody was having dreams, they were paying attention to this thing. Uh, and it's interesting, in the Bible, um, there, are, there are two words that are used, and they're almost used uh, synonymously. One is the word vision, and the other word is the word dream. And when people were talking about a vision, the Bible would say he had a vision in the night or a night vision. They would use that language and dream almost synonymous. So again, the biblical worldview, when someone's having a dream, they are understanding that as being a vision from God, but while they're sleeping with their eyes closed. These are actually visions from God. Now, it is true, and I do want to say this, uh, there's, there's some Egyptian teachers about dream interpretation that did teach this, so I, I don't want to overstate the case, but in this worldview, they also understood sometimes your dream is just a late Taco Bell run you know, from the night before. So I don't want to overstate the case, okay? There is, a, there is a reality to, even in the ancient Near East, that just because you have visions and images in your brain, it's entirely possible that that's just as, as we understand, as your subconscious sloughing off information, experiences, emotional things that are happening in your life. So I don't want to overstate the case, but... In the biblical worldview, there was a higher level given to dreams than just, man, that late night pizza really got me. I started dreaming about pepperonis flying around, you know, with sunglasses on, talking to me. (laughs) By the way, I've never had that kind of dream, but that sounds cool. Um, But I would assume that that's not from the Lord. So just wanted to kind of set that worldview uh, understanding. And there are a couple of different categories that the Bible talks about dreams. One is literal dreams that are literal direct messages from God. We see those kind of dreams. And then a second category of dreams are symbolic visionary experiences. So someone is seeing something. They're not hearing something from God in terms of a directive or command. They're seeing some sort of picture and that picture requires interpretation. So those are the two primary categories uh, of dreams in the Bible. So the very first dream, this is interesting, is in Genesis chapter 15. It's when Abraham receives the Abrahamic covenant. He, he sacrifices an animal, puts the two pieces of the animal side by side. The Bible says that it has a night vision and a, in a dream, a smoking pot 
flies in between these two pieces. Y'all remember this from Genesis 15? It's the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant. Now, it's interesting to me that the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant happened in a dream. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) Apparently, God's okay with communicating significant things through dreams. Now, there are two significant dreamers and interpreters that I want to just talk about real quick, and they tie to our Christmas dreams. The first one is Joseph from the Old Testament. First one's Joseph. So Joseph, you remember, is from a family of dreamers. They're sitting around the table. Joseph gets up, says, hey, guys, um, I I saw in this dream, and he starts to describe this symbolic dream. And the brothers take it really well, don't they? Is that what happens? <laughs> Even Jacob's like, um, are you saying that we as the sun and moon, mom and I, are going to bow to you and all the stars are going to bow to you, Joe? He's like, yeah, that's what I see. <laughs> and he, he describes this dream that's pointing to Joseph's future, that something's going to be happening in Joseph's life. And God was communicating to Joseph, uh, there is a sense in which even your family will be bowing and yielding to you in terms of leadership and authority. Now, some people will object to some of this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to answer an objection real quick. And I'm thinking about last week. Do you remember uh, last Sunday I was talking about uh, Marketplace Dream? Uh, in, the, in the sermon on prophecy. And I was making the argument that if I was starting a business, I would make sure that I had a senior executive level person at the table making decisions that was prophetic, that was listening to the Lord. I would make sure that I had at least one person on my team that was prophetic. And I described a story in which one of my friends, he, he, left, he was in church, in church work, he left the church, went into the marketplace, and I told the story about how the CEO was a kingdom-minded person and uh, they were getting ready to do a joint venture with another guy. They were trying to process it. They said, let's give it one week. One, one of the members of the senior team has a dream of that guy linking arms with the CEO, and the business goes up in flames. And they enter in to the next staff meeting, and my friend, who doesn't really, he's not aware of spiritual gifts at the time, uh, he hears this person describe this dream, and the CEO is like, well, maybe, let's, I mean, maybe we should not do this deal. And my, my friend was like, What? We're going to make a a significant financial decision based off of a dream. And there may be some objections, I think, to that that story being told. Because you might say to yourself, would God really give like an economic business dream? Like, okay, maybe, maybe he'll give a dream for like someone's future or something in ministry, some sort of calling over the life. But would God really stoop down to give a dream that dealt with economics and business. Some people might object. Some people might even make that comment. Do you know what my answer to that is? Of course. (laughs) He did it with Pharaoh. What's Pharaoh's dream? Do you you know what Pharaoh's dream is about? Cows. Fat cows. And And then these skinny cows come and eat the fat cows. What's that about? Anybody? Feast and famine. And what's the interpretation of that? Is it, is it some sort of spiritual, is it some big spiritual interpretation? Or is it economic? It's economics. 
hey, why don't we save? We got seven years of fat years. Let's save up because there's seven years of lean years. And, and Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream was an economic business decision. Are you all with me right now? I'm just, I'm just trying to make a case. <laughs> Dreams are not just spiritual things that happen. But God is happy to speak even in business and economic terms. The second major dreamer that I want to mention who also connects to our Christmas story is Daniel. He's the second major dreamer and interpreter of dreams in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and Nebuchadnezzar was like a really um, a real gentle ruler, apparently, because he looks at his wise men, and he says, listen, guys, I need you to interpret my dream, but first, I would like for you to tell me what my dream was, and then interpret it, and if you can't, off with your heads. Gentle guy, man, let's just talk about, talk about such a servant leader, you know, mm, beautiful. What happens? Daniel goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he goes, hey, guys, uh, let's pray, <laughs> Because we're in this group, so we're going to get our heads cut off as well. But Daniel understands something. He understands that God is the giver of interpretations because God is the giver of these dreams. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pray, they seek the Lord. God gives a dream to Daniel. In the dream, this is all in Daniel chapter 2. In the dream he gives to Daniel, not only does he tell Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but then he also interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream in a dream. So it's like inception going on. I mean, you know, we got a lot going on here. I'm dreaming about someone else's dream and the interpretation of that dream. Then Daniel goes, he shares with Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel obviously then begins to rise to the ranks. Daniel, over time, will lead all of the Magi, most likely, in Babylon. And is training the entire nation, especially in the area of mysticism, and these wise men. He becomes the leader of those. And of course, we're going to find out a little bit about that connection in the Christmas story. It's very likely that the wise men that meet Jesus knew of Daniel very well. So all of this to say, according to God, dreams and visions are normal. He says this in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. God says, hear my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, I speak with him in a dream. And you may say, well, Jamie, that's for prophets. I don't know, we can't really apply that to us. I mean, just because God is speaking to prophets in a dream, we can't just, just wholesale apply that to us. But then you have Joel chapter 2. The prophet Joel says this. You know this passage. It's fulfilled in Pentecost. Joel says, it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everyone say all. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And then Peter adds in Acts chapter 2, verse 18, and they will prophesy. So it's interesting, when Joel is describing this uh, prophecy, he's using various terms synonymously. Did you notice that? So he's trying to say, when, when God pours out his spirit on all flesh, uh, it's going to come with it. The spirit coming on people is going to come with it, revelatory stuff. And he begins to use synonyms, things like prophecy, dreams, and visions. He's not saying only old men get to dream dreams, and only young men get visions, 
and only the kids can prophesy, right? Does that make sense? He's using those terms synonymously, interchangeably. I find it really interesting. I don't want to press this point, but I find it really interesting that it's not that the young men would dream dreams, but it's the old men would dream dreams. Isn't that interesting? Where in our culture we would think, ah, it's just a dreamer, it's just some kid thinking about some stuff. But when God speaks to the prophet, he puts the old men dreaming dreams and the young men seeing visions. That's just interesting to me. So according to God, this is normal. That when the Spirit was poured out on all flesh, that God was happy to give dreams to everybody and to speak to everybody in this way. Kiddos, adults, old men, mature women, right? Young men, young women. He's happy to speak. The first dream that I had that really shook me like this, um, I, was, I was serving a church in, in Tulsa, and I was really asking the Lord about healing specifically. I was frustrated by the fact that I hadn't seen that many people healed. And so, and I was, well, I wasn't asking for dreams. It was specifically about healing. And I was asking the Lord, I said, I want to see people healed. Like, I'm seeing it in the Bible. I'm hearing other people pray for people that get healed. What's up with that? And then I had a dream, uh, and I, I, at the time, I don't dream very often. And in this dream, there's a church member. She calls me to her house. I go to her house. This is in my dream. I go to her house. She's sitting on the couch. Um, she asks me to pray for her. I lay hands on her. She's healed. End of the dream. Now, it's entirely possible that I could have been thinking, oh, guys, a church member, you know, somebody at church probably needs some emotional healing. You know, you know, I can maybe go talk to her. But I didn't take it too seriously until I got a phone call from this lady that day. <laughs> and she goes, hey, I'm having a lot of problems. Can you come pray for me? Can you come to my house and pray for me? So I go to her house, and she's sitting on the couch. Here's the couch. She's sitting on the couch. I'm sitting here, and um, she had issues with her feet. Like, literally, her toes were, like, like, arthritic and, like, folded down like this almost. And, like, she was having a hard time walking. She had to have, like, those uh, specialized shoes for her feet. And she said, hey, um, would you pray for my feet? And I was like, this is so weird compared to the dream that I just had. So I prayed for her, and this is the first time that everyone saw anyone miraculously, creatively healed. I watched her feet go. And she was healed. She came, she came to church uh, the next Sunday. No walker, no specialized shoes, completely healed. And that came from a dream. Isn't that interesting? God is happy to give us dreams and to speak to us through our dreams. Well, let's look at the actual Christmas text. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. We're just going to talk through this text. So Matthew writes... Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The word betrothed means to be engaged. And in this culture, engagement was basically being married. Like it wasn't like, it's not like a get out of, get out of this thing kind of season. Like in our culture, like if you're engaged with somebody, it's kind of like, let's just see if this works. I'm out, you know, anytime. You get engaged in this culture, a lot of times it's formally parents, parents, 
putting people together. This betrothal is a serious deal. They're basically married, even though they're engaged, okay? Before they came together, they f- Mary is now found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we pass over that. Do you, do you know how remarkable that is? <laughs> that the third member of the Trinity, the eternal God, the Spirit, comes upon Mary, and then she becomes miraculously pregnant with the second member of the Trinity, also pre-eternal. And we're, and we're worried about dreams, and we believe this. Are y'all hearing me? Like, the, the most significant thing, the hardest of all things, has already been done in the birth of Jesus, the virgin birth. Okay, anyway, let's keep going. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So because of the nature, the, the formal nature of this engagement betrothal, Joseph's like, dude, I'm out, man. I mean, you're pregnant. So I'm going to divorce her, but I don't want to bring shame to her entire family, so I'm going to divorce her quietly. It's interesting, in this culture, if a woman was found to be pregnant while she's betrothed, prior to wedding night, she could be stoned. So follow me. In, you know, in, the creator of the universe is now in the conception, is in Mary, and it's entirely likely she could be stoned to death. That is, the fetus would be killed. <laughs> They're like, this is serious stuff. <laughs> so he decides to re- divorce her quietly, Verse 20, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a what? A dream. Now, time out, time out. This may be the most significant thing in all of creation. Because if Joseph divorced her, they find out, they stone her, she's dead. That means second member of the Trinity, also dead, before he's even born. Don't, can we get, can't we get a Bible verse or something? Can't we? Can't? Y'all see what I'm saying? God chooses to speak a significant, life-altering, universe-altering, creation-redeeming, altering thing in a dream. Let's keep going. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means, of course, God with us. So when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, one of the objections to focusing on dreams, trying to seek dreams, try to ask God for dreams, try to interpret dreams, one of the objections, especially from the open but cautious crowd, which I was in that group, and I find myself in that group from time to time. We're open to the gifts, but we're cautious. Let's be safe, right? One of the objections is, why would God speak in dreams when we have the Bible? Like, it's, it's a clear word. It's, this is the clear, authoritative word of God. Like, why is he speaking in dreams? And it's interesting, 
He could have spoken through the word of God to Joseph. Did you know that? Like Matthew actually says, verse 23, he quotes scripture. Follow me. God could have spoken to Joseph through the word. Chose not to. Chose to do it in a dream. So apparently God has no problem. Like it, it doesn't threaten him. Even though we have, scriptural, we have a scripture. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and will bear a son. That's a scripture verse. Joseph could have gone to synagogue, could have gone up into the temple, and he could have received that word literally from scripture. And God said, no, we're going to do it through a dream. And it was confirmed by scripture. Are y'all hearing me this morning? <laughs> Apparently God's okay with giving us dreams and then confirming it in the word. All right, let's keep going. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know this for a fact, but many scholars believe they're from the, the area of Babylon, what was formerly Babylon, these were wise men. They're called magi. Uh, when you're thinking about these, these guys um, or this group, um, these would be pagan astrologers. These would be magicians. Think tarot cards, Ouija boards. This is, this is the kind of people we're talking about, okay? We're, you know, this isn't like a Sunday school teacher that went to seminary, okay? These are astrologers, pagan magicians from Babylon, very likely coming from the lineage of when Daniel was there in that area. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm just making some connections here. So wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him, which is one of the falsest statements I've ever read in the Bible. What does Herod really want to do? Off with his head. He's like, I want to worship him by killing him. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they, these magi, these wise men, went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. <laughs> How about God using pagan astrologers and then he, he literally takes constellations and stars and is moving them around in such a way that an astrologer that does not fear Yahweh astrologer would be drawn to it to meet Jesus there is no God like this God <laughs> and when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house they saw the child with Mary his mother they fell down and worshipped him then opening their treasures they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh 
Verse 12. And being warned in a what? In a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. One last little thing that I was going to say about this is not to like shatter all of your nativity sets. But it takes several months. Conservatively, it takes several months to get from, if indeed they were from Babylon, it would take several months to get to the promised land for these wise men. And it's interesting, we find out later that Herod ends up killing all the boys, what ages? Like six months or like two months? Like, it, you know, two years and younger. Which means it's very, very likely that the wise men actually were a little delayed. It's actually not like Jesus is born and wise men are there. But actually, Jesus may be one, one and a half, up to two years old when the Magi show up. Okay, let's, let's just keep going. That was just for fun. But God speaks to them in a dream. Now, interestingly, now, he's, now God is giving dreams. We've already seen it with Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar. But now God is giving a dream to pagans. Warning them about Herod. Hey, Herod's not telling you the truth. Go another way, which would have cost them quite a bit to go the opposite way around back home. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a what? In a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph thought it was weird that he got a dream and ignored it. Is that what it, is that what it says? And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. I love the immediacy of obedience to this dream. In our culture, we're like, I don't know, is that from God? I don't know. Well, let's just pray about it. Joseph's like, here's a dream, we're going. Okay. He rose, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, and he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Again, God could have just given a Bible verse to Joseph. Out of Egypt I called my son. Instead, he gives him a dream. It's confirmed by Scripture. Are you all seeing this pattern? He gives him a dream. It's confirmed by Scripture. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a what? A dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah, Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in the city called Nazareth. And what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. <laughs> so I'm just thinking, you know, you got these two Josephs. You got the Old Testament Joseph. And you have the New Testament Joseph. And then you got the Daniel 
in Babylon, teaching the wise men, and then you have the wise men showing up in the New Testament. It's just interesting. But I'm thinking to myself, if God is okay with Joseph and Pharaoh, if God is okay to rescue an entire generation from famine through a dream, maybe we should be open to a little bit of dreaming ourselves. And if God is okay to preserve the second member of the Trinity, Jesus the Christ, who would die for the sins of the world, if God was okay with preserving that Jesus as a little baby through multiple dreams to Joseph, maybe we should be okay with God speaking to us about trivial things in our life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I think we far too easily discount what God is willing to do in our lives. I think the enemy has uh, infiltrated a culture that's very focused on rationality to say, it's just a dream. Don't worry about that. Don't pay attention to that. Don't, Don't seek the Lord in this way. It was just Taco Bell. Move on. Hearing about these magi made me think, uh, you all know the stories that in the Muslim world, the Muslims are having dreams of Jesus regularly. Missionaries are regularly telling testimonies that there'll be individuals, Muslims, coming to them and saying, I had a dream. I remember one. I had a dream. I was... In the dream, I was taking a shower and I couldn't get myself clean. This man in white comes up to me and says, you cannot make yourself clean. I will make you clean. And that guy in white, who's Jesus, the, guy doesn't, the Muslim guy doesn't know that yet. The guy in white says, go talk to this missionary person. Goes to the missionary person. I had this dream. I'm trying to get clean. I can't get clean. This man in white says, I, to get clean... I need to come talk to you. What do I need to do to be clean? Through a dream. (laughs) All right, so let's do some practical application. Then we're going to pray. Then we're going to go. I want to encourage you to ask the Father for dreams for you. Ask him. I found there's a principle in the kingdom It's the principle of the talents. You know how the principle works. Uh, The master gives a talent to an individual. And there's a kingdom principle. If I take this talent and I dig a hole and I bury it and I ignore it, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. However, if the master gives me something and I look at it and I go, okay, I'm going to do something with this. I'm going to... I'm going to do some kingdom things with this. And let's say that it's multiplied now. I didn't bury it. I didn't ignore it. I actually did something with it. What happens when the master comes back? Do you you know what the master says? This one's been faithful with a little. I'm going to give them more. There's a principle in the kingdom. I have found this to be true. If I will press in, when, when I press into the Lord, I hear more from the Lord. And when I have a dream and I ignore it, I stop dreaming. But when I get into seasons where I have a dream and then I actually will take the time to write it down and actually focus, I'll ask the Lord, I will go to the scriptures, and when I do that, then I'll find, oh, the next day I'm having another dream, and then I'm having another dream, and I'm having another dream. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? 
It's, it's a kingdom principle. So when you think the Lord is doing something in your life, if you will cultivate that and press in and invite community, look at the word, look at the scriptures, ask the Lord, if you will journal, if you will press in, the Lord will give more. So I want to encourage you, some of us, including myself, I'm talking to myself right now, some of us have stifled the dreams in our life that the Lord has been giving. I know I have. I, I get up in the morning, I'm too busy, I don't, okay, that's so weird, blah, 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 and I move on. Let's ask the Lord for dreams. Yeah, Scott? Right, right. Yeah, so the Bible, so when I was talking about the Bible uses the term visions, night visions, dreams, almost synonymously. So I would say if, if you're receiving a vision during the daytime, like you're awake, it's a vision. And if you're receiving that same thing, but you're asleep, it's a dream. So the Bible uses them as one's daytime and one's sleep. Does that make sense? So yeah. So I would answer that question, yes. Um, you know, when Peter sees a sheet coming down, the language there is actually, like, it's, it's a little bit obscure. Is this a dream or is it a vision that he's having? When the sheet comes down and all these unclean animals come down. So anyway, so ask the Father for dreams. And I just want to encourage you. Um, I'll jump into the New Testament and outside the infancy narrative because some people might say, well, this is about the birth of Jesus. Again, how can you apply that to us? This was a special time because it was the birth of Jesus. Well, Paul regularly has dreams, and he changes ministry and mission strategy because of dreams. Acts 8, 18, Paul is in Corinth, super discouraged. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, dream, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So Paul receives encouragement from this night vision or this dream. Paul also receives guidance, Acts 16, 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So encouragement, guidance, warning. Asking the Father to speak and to give us dreams. Second application. I would encourage you, uh, before you go to bed, to pray over your room, and literally, you may think this is silly, put your hand on your head and pray for dreams. Ask the Father. And I just want to make a note about nightmares. Um, it's important that we understand spiritual authority in our homes. It's important that we understand spiritual authority. Jesus said, I've given you authority over all demonic forces. It says, resist the devil and he will flee. And that flee is an active running away. It's not like a still standing there trying to get you. Resist the enemy and he will flee. So I want to encourage, especially if you've got kiddos and grandkiddos, to take authority over the room, to take authority over the bed, and pray protection for your kids and for yourself. So ask the Father, pray over your room before you go to bed. Number three, really helpful, have a notebook out and put it on your nightstand. This is what I found. When I have a dream, I will wake up, and if I don't write that thing down, <clears throat> either like on my phone or on a notebook, that dream will vanish like that. Have you all experienced this? And you kind of think to yourself, 
I, I remember something about a dream, and it's like the more you think about it, the more it goes away, right? I would encourage you to have a notebook out, and as soon as you wake up from something, to start writing it down. Fourth, understand that dreams are relational for God. Like all revelatory uh, aspects of, of the gifts of the Spirit and the kingdom, they're all relational. This isn't parlor tricks. This isn't some sort of weird thing. This is about relationship. When the Father gives you a dream, he's going like this. Come here. Come here. Come, come on. Because what a dream, especially some highly symbolic dreams, what do they require you to do? Come to him and go, what was that about? <laughs> so sometimes the father will give a dream because he's trying to get your attention and you're not paying attention during the day so he's going to get you at night. Give you a dream and it's like, come here. And it's relational. So when I have a dream, my question is, I'm writing it down and then I'm asking the father, what does this mean? I'm asking things like, is there a scripture that makes sense of this dream? Is there some sort of symbol in this dream that's a scripture? And I will go to the word, and I'm asking the Father in the word. Does that make sense, what I'm trying to say? So it, I get a little nervous when, when people um, talk about spiritual things, but they talk about them in an abstract, magic way rather than relationally with Jesus. I think when you take it out of relationship with Jesus and it comes over here in this like weird, abstract, transcendental thing, I think that's a little much for me. I want to stay relational with Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So you're saying that discernment is needed. Mm hmm. Not necessarily every dream is from God. Correct. Correct. In the same way, when we talk about hearing God's voice, it, just because something enters your brain doesn't mean that it's from God. You know, it could, be, it could be the enemy's voice. It could be my own thoughts, my own thinking about things. So that discernment assumes confirmation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, and I put in here, we're looking to the Bible for interpretation. So if you get some sort of symbol, like about, let's say, let's say there's a lion in your dream. I would be going to the concordance and looking up every scripture online. In fact, I did this many years ago. I looked up every verse that has a lion in it, and I asked the Father, what are you saying to me? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? You know, there's dream books and all this. Well, I think there's a place for some of that, but if there's, a, if there's a symbol that really sticks out in your dream, write it down, go to the Word, get a concordance out, and look up every verse that has that symbol in it. And ask the Lord, what are you saying to me in this? Then the confirmation thing, Burr, that you're asking, another application that would be helpful is to get help from community. The people that are in your life, I would say, hey, this is kind of weird. I wrote this thing down. I had this dream. Can you help me process this? It's entirely possible this is Taco Bell. Uh, it could also be the Lord. Can you help me? Get community. Get the word and community to help you discern. And then final application, then we're going to pray and go, final application is this if you dream everybody, everybody looking right at me if you dream about MCC I want you to tell the elders does that make sense not in like a bad way like you got in trouble but in a it is my belief that the Lord is going to be speaking about MCC to the body
So if you have a dream, and if you're watching online, if you have a dream about MCC at all, I want you to come tell me or the elders. Because we want to know. This is part of the way God speaks. And so I want to open up that conversation for us as a church family. Does it make sense? And especially, like I'm looking at some kiddos, looking at Abby over there, looking at other kiddos. I know there's kiddos watching right now. I'm looking at a kiddo right back there. If you're a kiddo and you have a dream about MCC, I want you to come tell me. Okay? Sweet. Okay, I'm going to invite Paul and is Wayne coming? Yeah. I'm going to pray for us. Since we're doing questions, any other questions about what we've been talking about? I'm seeing arms move. No question. I just saw an arm go up. Sarah. I want to pray for us. We're going to sing one last carol. And then we're going to be dismissed. When we stand together, let's stand. Jesus, I thank you for the way that you choose to reveal yourself to your people. I thank you that you are the kind of God that speaks in all kinds of ways and in all kinds of ways uh, and medium to us. That you have spoken most perfectly in your son Jesus, the very word, the logos. And you have revealed your word authoritatively in the Bible. And that you are happy to speak to us as the good shepherd speaking to his sheep. And that you've created us in such a way that when we're asleep, you are happy to speak to your kids. And even those people who are pre-kids of yours. Jesus, we come before you and we confess, I confess specifically, discounting dreams in my own life. I'm not taking them serious and not taking the time to come to you for discernment, for interpretation. And I ask, Father, that you will give dreams again to me and to your church family here at MCC. I ask that you will pour out more and more revelation to your people. We also come against any work of the enemy to bring fearful nightmares. Jesus that you would bring protection and that you will double up dreams for the nightmares that have been experienced.
ask, Holy Spirit, that you will come, that you will pour yourself out, that your sons and daughters would prophesy, that your old men would dream dreams, that your young men would have visions, boys and girls, men and women, would experience you, Holy Spirit, your revelatory ministry here in this place. We thank you. We honor you. And Jesus, we continue to worship you and fix our eyes on you. Let's worship Jesus. Let's close out this season with just this simple chorus. No comments Dismissed and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you.